morning. Our first case this morning is Hope County Board of Education et al. Uh, versus State of North Carolina et al. And we will uh, hear from, I believe, Mr. Hunter is going to go, no, Mr. Tilly is going to go first. We'll hear from Mr. Tilly. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, Matthew Tilly with Womble Bond Dickinson here for the legislative interveners. I'm joined with my colleagues and partners, uh, Clark Goodman, Russ Ferguson, and Mike Ingersoll. Um, as we are both appellants and appellees in this case, as are many parties, I plan to take 15 minutes to start. Um, Mr. Hunt, uh, Mr. Hunter will give a present, short presentation on behalf of the controller, and after that, um, the balance of our time will be res reserved for rebuttal. Your Honor, this is, or, Your Honors, this is, case is not a contest between those who want to fund education and those who don't. The current budget, which was adopted through two comprehensive appropriations acts, approved by the General Assembly, and signed by the governor, appropriates more money than ever before any other previous budget, $22 billion over two years, or more than 41% of the state's biannual budget to K-12 education. This case is also not about whether the state constitution guarantees every child in North Carolina an opportunity to obtain a sound basic education. Leandro too established that right. But whether a right exists and whether plaintiffs have obtained a proper judgment establishing a violation anywhere other than Hope County are different questions. Whether the judiciary can order the state to implement and fund and appropriate money for a sweeping eight-year, 146-item, comprehensive remedial plan, which we'll refer to as the CRP, that would remove decision-making over education from the people and dictate education policy and spending for the state for the next decade is yet another question. Although the trial court properly amended the order below on remand, to remove provisions, so-called transfer provisions, that would have caused an unprecedented violation of the Appropriations Clause and Separation of Powers, it nevertheless erred by continuing to order and require the CRP in the first place. And thus, we believe that the order below, as amended, should be reversed for three primary reasons. First, the trial court failed to adhere to this court's directives in Leandro 1 and Leandro 2. In Leandro 1, this court held that efforts by the political branches to provide children with a sound basic education should be presumed to be constitutional, and only a clear showing will justify intrusion of the judiciary into the realm so, so um, strongly reserved for the political branches. In Leandro 2, this court reviewed the trial court judgment, the only liability judgment in this case, and unanimously held that it was limited only to Hope County and any mandates coming from it must be limited to Hope County. This is because plaintiff's claims were related to the specific conditions in their individual districts and could not be tried on a statewide basis. The court also affirmed the trial court's judgment that the bulk of the core of the state's educational delivery system, including its funding allocation system, was sufficient to meet constitutional standards and then it remanded the case 
for further proceedings in trial on the, uh, the other plaintiff's school districts and, their, and plaintiff's claims related to those. Those trials never happened. No judgment resulted from them. Instead, the trial court's November 10 order mistakenly assumed that Leandro II established a statewide violation which would, which would support statewide mandates. As a result, this court is being asked to review orders that would require it to define the outer bounds of the judicial power without a proper judgment that even defines the scope of the violation it is trying to remedy. Second, by issuing a statewide remedy without first finding a corresponding violation, the trial court failed to treat measures adopted in the state budget, which represent the legislative and executive branch's efforts to establish and maintain the state's public school system, as presumptively constitutional. Third, even assuming for the sake of argument that there was a judgment establishing a statewide violation, by requiring the state to implement every measure proposed in, in the executive branch's proposed CRP, the trial court failed to adhere to this court's directive to minimize its encroachment, to minimize encroachment into the other branches and to do no more than is necessary when fashioning a remedy. Yet despite these errors, plaintiffs in the executive branch want this court to go further. They asked the court to reinstate no provisions in the November 10 order that would have required and purported to appropriate $1.7 billion from the state treasury, not through legislation, but through a judicial order. These so-called transfer provisions, however, would cause, as we have said, an unprecedented violation of the Appropriations Clause and violate this court's unbroken line of decisions culminating only two years ago in Cooper v. Berger, all of which confirmed that the drafters of the Constitution intended the General Assembly to have the exclusive power of the purse and to do so in order to ensure that the people through their elected representatives had full and exclusive control of the state's expenditures. For these three reasons and those that we have set out, set out in our briefs, we believe that the order as amended should be overturned. There has been discussion about what this court's decision the last time it came to you 18 years ago said and what it didn't. I will submit to you that in Leandro II, there really is no room to dispute that the court took the trial court judgment. It recognized that Hope County was being, it was the subject of the trial as a representative plaintiff district, but then said because those condition, the conditions and the evidence at trial was limited to just Hope County, the court and its man, the mandates coming from that decision and the judgment itself must be limited to only Hope County. This is the reason the court remanded the case for proceedings on the other plaintiff school districts. That is not an outgrowth of, of any attempt to unduly limit the trial court's judgment. Instead, it is a result of the theory of the case that plaintiffs chose. Plaintiffs' original complaint, their theory of the case, is that, there, is that the state had failed to supervise the management of educational, of educational opportunities within the district and that because of that, the conditions in their district had caused a disparity in opportunities between those districts and the other districts across, the other 114 school districts across the state. It is for this reason that the case cannot be tried on a statewide basis. And if we now have a situation where we are looking at a statewide remedy and trying to find out how from 
how from Leandro II to now we got there. We've raised this point in our briefs, and the parties have all pointed in different directions. Not a single one points to the same place where a judgment occurred, finding a violation of a state or a statewide violation that might support the CRP. That puts this court at a real disadvantage. Leandro two or Leandro one and two, Alamance County, which we have cited, quorum, which which is stands for the power of the court to authorize um, direct actions under the Constitution, all hold that in fashioning a remedy, the court must minimize encroachment and do no more than is into the other branches and do no more than is necessary. That is to be judged by the facts and circumstances developed at trial. Without a judgment, we do not know what standard the, court, the trial court used to find a violation. We do not know where that violation occurred and where it did. We do not know what school districts are, are working and succeeding at providing educational opportunities to students and which ones aren't. We also don't know what has to be done or what has caused those violations, and we don't know what, when to say that the court has done enough and when to stop. The CRP itself appears to be an outgrowth of that process. This court has considered once a, specific, a proposed specific remedy from the trial court before. In Leandro II, the trial court following the trial proposed that, to expand pre-K services to at-risk children. The court said that that went too far. One, because decisions over education policy and how best to educate children and how best to provide for the state's educational system are best left to the General Assembly and the political branches. Two, the court said that by picking a specific remedy, it would undermine potential future efforts. And then three, the court said there was not evidence to show that extending pre-K to at-risk students was the only means or by even the, the only qualifying or known means to provide a sound basic education to children or to provide a remedy. Compare the CRP to that one specific remedy that this court found went too far. The CRP has 146 action items. It purports to, by the end, require $5.6 billion in continuing appropriations per year. That, that should be compared to the annual budget, the annual current operations budget, which is close to $27 billion. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you about the proceedings that have occurred since 2018 in this case. Yeah. And, and first, you acknowledge that the position you're taking here, that, that a statewide remedy is not appropriate, is not the position the state has been taking in the litigation since that time. I, I recognize that it's not the position that the executive branch agencies appearing before the, the court took and who proposed the CRP took. But if you look at the various different avenues that the parties have pointed to for a proposed statewide remedy, none bear out. One, plaintiffs point to a letter that the state superintendent and the state chair of um, the State Board of Education provided to um, Judge Manning in 2002, before Leandro II, saying that, Judge, we understand that there has been a violation, but please know we are working to address not only the needs of Hope County, but everyone in the state. 
Plaintiffs try to paint that as a definitive legal position that there can only be a statewide remedy. There's some, no such thing in the text of that letter, nor is a letter to the court the type of thing that would bind it. But in any event, Leandro, too, looked at the judgment, knew the evidence taken, and said that the case was limited to Hope County and its mandates. Right, but, I'm, but, but I want to focus more on the more recent proceedings. And, and didn't, don't I understand the state to have taken the position that because the Constitution also requires that, um, and Leandro says it applies to students throughout the state, the state's position in this litigation from that point in time was that a statewide remedy was the only appropriate approach, constitutionally. And I think, I've, I think when we start talking about the different, the different ways, I think it's important that the parties say we got to a statewide violation. I think it's important to recognize that a statewide violation is separate from the original claims, which were just by district. I recognize that the Department of Justice and the agency, the executive agencies that it represents said that, there would be, that it needed to provide a statewide remedy in order to provide a sound basic education to all in 2018. That's part of our argument that this case did not proceed with a controversy when, that, when it transitioned from a district by district analysis to some, a statewide analysis. Two, this is the reason that, we, that this court said there must be a clear showing of a violation before the judiciary reaches into the area of education and starts prescribing a remedy, because that showing effect is necessary. The rule against friendly suits is not some allegation that the parties are colluding. I think everyone here is trying to get to the right place. But the point of that is, is that the executive branch is necessarily going to be tempted to use admissions in a court case to get orders that would provide agencies things that they can't get in the legislative process. It's a way to circumvent the process. And this court has said that in order to invoke the remedial powers of the court and the judiciary, there has to be an actual controversy between parties and actual evidence of a violation. That's the reason. Mr. Tilley, before you go on with that, let me, this is a big record and you know, it helps me a lot to make sure that I understand it. Yes, sir. Uh, your colleagues contended on a number of occasions between Leandro II and relatively recent times, the trial court, Judge Manning and others, determined that there was a widespread beyond Hope County violation of the right to a sound basic education. I understand you've got some questions about whether it was procedurally proper for Judge Manning to do that. You've already explained that, but is, is it an accurate description of the record in your view that, that, that Judge Manning found that there were statewide problems or widespread problems? No, sir. Many of the sites that they make are to, are to notices of hearing, and I think the most, the, the most specific one that we pointed to is the 2015 notice of hearing where Judge Manning said that he had reviewed statewide, statewide standardized test data and it had revealed to him or suggested to him that there were way too many students in way too many districts that were not getting an education and he called the parties to explain and to present evidence. It was a question that he presented. There are, there are assertions in your colleague's brief that he reviewed statewide data and made findings that, uh, or made statements that uh, violations were occurring in various places. Is that an inaccurate description of the record? It, it's hard to know what was found when, given the, given the way the record proceeds through those notices of, notices of hearing and those, those memos. But 
if the court was pushing on with a remedial phase on a statewide basis, it had simply not listened to this court. But I mean, I understand that your and, argument. I'm right. just trying to find out what, what the documents in the record actually say. Your Honor, I think those findings are at best inconclusive. And the fact that the court reviewed, the trial court reviewed statewide evidence does not mean that it has necessarily found statewide problems or that it was properly finding statewide problems. The right to an education is an opportunity to a sound basic education. Only looking at standardized test data only looks at the output. It doesn't look at the input. It doesn't look at the conditions of the ground. It doesn't do the holistic type review that was required and was affirmed in Leandra too. So to say that statewide test data indicates or even suggests that too many kids are falling behind statewide is an inconclusive statement. It's never put in a judgment. And the real problem is, is that there's no one document to point to. And that proceeding is a, that procedural defect is a problem. It's not a procedural nicety because it means that this court has a hard time reviewing. I'm sorry. It means that it puts us all in a place where we have a hard time reviewing what the trial court did, what it relied on, what, where it found violations and what needs to be done to remedy them and what would go too far and is beyond necessary. And so your honor, these statements of indication of, of sort of intermediate thoughts and conclusions are not the types of findings and conclusions that result in a judgment. And I point back to the way that the trial court did its judgment from the only trial in this case. It had four memoranda, only one of which it counted as its liability judgment. The rest were intermediate considerations and discussion. The, the, the various statements they've cited to you, I think if you, if you read them in context, become intermediate discussion and not final conclusions of a statewide violation. So is it your position that nothing more has happened throughout the years because there hasn't been sufficient direction given or conclusive direction proposed as to the direction in which matters should go concerning education in Hope County or even beyond arguably? Yes, your honor. I think there has not been sufficient direction from the trial court as to what it has found and what it is proceeding on. And I'd, I'd point to what happened when Judge Lee picked this case up in 2016 and his order in the, of the November 10 order, which is what we're challenging. That order does not cite some intermediate finding of a statewide violation that happened between Leandro II and the date of the November order. It cites back to Leandro II. It says in the 17 years since Leandro II, there has been no remedy. And that the trial court's only liability judgment has been, and this is a finding of, um, a conclusion, or excuse me, finding of fact 16, has been restated in 2015 and 2018. The court thought that it was effectuating an, a remedial phase that led from Leandro II. And because, and the other proceedings were not the basis for the remedy that's been issued. Your Honor, we do have other issues and I do want to provide some time to the controller. So, thank you. Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the attorney for the controller. If it please the court, my name is Robert Hunter and I, I have the pleasure of representing Neil Roseland and his office, the state controller, Mr. Roseland and his deputy, Jim Dolan, are in the courtroom today. Um, 
as a principle of uh, general law in writing a judgment, I think we should follow the, the, we're all doctors of jurisprudence and we ought to follow the rule that we do no harm. And uh, I think as a general matter, that's what Coram says when it talks about only limiting a remedy to that which is necessary. We don't have a view on these weighty issues that Mr. Tilly and the other parties have to say. We have a very limited purpose here in being here to talk about the mechanism that Judge Lee used to uh, enforce his, the, the order that he had, which are called the transfer positions. When I think about this case, uh, I really think uh, from the controller's standpoint, there are two points. One is a jurisdictional point that our friends on this side of the table raised, which has to do with the remand order wasn't sufficient for Judge Robinson to do what he, he did do. As I read the remand order, it's very sufficient. Let me just take a moment and remind uh, the court that it said uh, the, the court was to find what effect, if any, the enactment of the state budget has upon the nature and extent of that relief that the trial court granted in November, 11 November 2021. The trial court is instructed to make any necessary findings of fact and conclusions of law and to certify any amended order that it chooses to enter with the court on or before the 30th day following the entry of this setting. It also goes on to say that the briefs in other matters are going to be held in abeyance pending further orders of the court. I think I take this to mean that the writ of prohibition I obtained from the Court of Appeals is still in effect and hasn't been overturned or stayed or a writ of supersedes has been ordered. So I think that is the law of the case and that is what Judge Robinson found and instructed to people and no one has convinced me otherwise. Judge Robinson can overrule another Superior Court judge because there's been a remand order, changed circumstances, and in my view, the initial order that he entered against the uh, controller was void ab initio for lack of due process. And we don't take a view on any of the weighty issues. We're all for the school children of North Carolina getting whatever money they're entitled to through an appropriation process. The Constitution of, the United, of North Carolina has a very complex procedure in which they go about administering appropriations, defining appropriations, and saying how the Treasury is to be spent. Governor Holden was impeached for taking money out of the Treasury without an appropriation. There, it is a crime and charges Mr. Roseland and his staff with civil liability if they were to do that. The order put him in a double bind. Does he obey the court order, the statutes, or the Constitution? But let's say we could get by that question. There's also the second point I want to make. There's an equitable marshalling question that has to be done. Who do you take the money from? Who does it go to? What's the judicially manageable standard that the court is going to do to replace the legislature's determination about appropriations? The legislature lets all the children eat. This court would, our friends on this side want to highlight the educational provision of our state constitution to the detriment of the other provisions of the state constitution. Now, I got no problem with everybody getting a good, sound, basic education. 
But we don't take, we don't read the Constitution by highlighting one, we read it in paramateria. And that all of it has to work together. And I don't know how you're going to decide this case. I don't think that heavy lifting is necessary that my friends on both sides do. I just think we simply need to affirm what Judge Robinson did and let's go home. I, there is one question that I want to understand your client's perspective on, and that is, functionally, what is the difference between Judge Lee's order, which ordered specific state actors to, to do certain things, and Judge Robinson's order, which ordered the state to do certain things? The state can only act through specific actors. So what is the difference between those two orders? Without due process, Judge Lee's order reached down and specifically pointed to the state controller to do these acts. And he wasn't given notice of that. He didn't get to describe how he operates. And we have done that at page 42 of our brief and page 2055 of the record. We've explained to Judge Robinson why the controller can't do what Judge Lee asked him to do. But, but I understand you to be arguing by asking us to affirm Judge Robinson's order that you think it is appropriate that he can order the state to do those things. I think he can do, he can order the state to do it. How that's executed, I think is very problematic. And, and that was what I was going to ask you, Mr. Hunter. Let us, you take no position on the underlying authority of the court to I think order the, court, the As I understand the case law and the precedent, the court is perfectly free to issue declaratory judgments. And that is the constitutional appropriate uh, remedy that has been given under quorum to this sort of situation. But after that, after, after a declaration is made, having them pay a judgment is another entirely different question. Right. So, so your, your, your position then is limited to the notion of you can tell, essentially tell the General Assembly, I assume, to spend the money. But that that's, if they elect not to, there's nothing more that can be done. That's what State versus Smith says, in my view. And that's what I think you said in Cooper versus Burger, Justice Irvin, and Richmond County. I think that you can ask the General Assembly to honor your requests. But the appropriation process, because of the marshalling questions that inherently flow from an order asking a different budget from what they do, are impossible to, for the, the, the people who write the checks to have to deal with. And in the, I take it from your answer then that in the event that the General Assembly elects not to comply, that's the end of the matter. Well, the, there are remedies uh, uh, to, uh, uh, which are non-judicial, which could be applied. And I think this court has been very active in making sure that there are adequate political remedies for the people of North Carolina to change the legislature. As I read this court's juris recent jurisprudence on that. And is it your view that, that this, this, this principle applies in every context? No. So what is different? So, so uh, for example, if, if the state takes someone's land without compensation and- uh, Oh, absolutely or, not. That is a specific provision of the Constitution. And I think that is very clear about that. And there is a statute which we discuss in our brief at, pay, at the page, and there's a statute which Judge Lee did. It just doesn't apply in this case, as, as the controller showed, that if you want to shift money around 
uh, from already appropriated money to pay a court judgment, you can do that. But you can't do a $1.8 billion payment by shifting money from one educational department to the other. Well, if so it's a small me, judgment, me, you can do it under the existing statute. But a really large one, uh, because the General Assembly and the people have elected this and done this remedy. But that's a very limited remedy and doesn't apply here. Well, let me ask you real quick about the language in Leandro 2, where this court said that um, when the state fails to live up to its constitutional duties, the court's empowered to order the deficiency remedied. And if the offending branch um, fails to do so or consistently shows an inability to do so, a court is empowered to provide relief by imposing a specific remedy and instructing the recalcitrant state actors to implement it. Um, we've, that was this court in 2004. Um, are you saying that that doesn't apply to transfer of dollars? I say it doesn't try. It, it, I, I don't know how you would go about implementing that. It's a general dis discussion and not a specific discussion. Well, it I, appears I, to be the court sort of recognizing kind of broad remedial powers on the part of the court to address a problem of this type when the actors with the constitutional duties have failed to address it themselves. Yes, ma'am. And I do not understand how, how the court can do that given its historical precedential decisions in Smith and otherwise. It is limited to declaratory relief. And then if the sheriff wants to go execute against the governor's mansion, I guess the court could order it. But on the other hand, uh, sovereign immunity would keep that from occurring. I see our time is limited now, and I need to save some for rebuttal from Mr. Tilly. I hope the court would extend him the privilege, because you've asked me a lot of questions that we didn't anticipate. So I wish you'd give him a little extra time to, to reply to what I'm sure will be an excellent argument. Thank you, counsel. Uh, along those lines, I will be giving uh, three extra minutes uh, if during the course of the conversations that we have with other counsel, it appears that uh, we're going to need to extend that time as well. We will do so up to the three minutes that I'm going to uh, grant uh, to the um, final rebuttal. May it please the court. My name is Amar Majmundar, and I represent the state of North Carolina. Your Honor, Chief Justice, if I can, I'd like to reserve five minutes, assuming that I don't need the additional three. Your Honors are well aware that the core constitutional in, in this case is the fundamental right of every child in this state to receive a sound basic education. But for more than two decades, at this very moment, the state is still failing to meet its constitutional obligations to the students. And that is true despite the fact that we've been bound by this court's prior opinions in this case and bound by the plain text of the Constitution. Yet plan after plan, budget after budget, we never reach success. So in 2018, after the trial court once again declared that the state was failing to meet its obligations, the defendants in this case, the state and the state board, resolved to develop a holistic, strategic, constitutionally valid strategy. It came can, up with can you Can you point to an order entered by the trial court after 
taking evidence that there is a statewide violation of the uh, constitutional promise of a sound basic education. Yes, sir. After Leander won, this is found on record page 678. Judge Manning entered an order. Now, this was before Leandro II. Before, this is before Leandro II. There are findings from post-Leandro I and post-Leandro II. Uh, the the post-Leandro I finding is on page 678. And Judge Manning said, unfortunately, the clear and convincing evidence also shows that there are thousands of children scattered throughout the state in low-wealth counties such as Hoke, Northampton, and Halifax, and wealthy counties such as Guilford, Charlotte, Mecklenburg, and Forsyth who are not being provided with the minimum educational resources necessary for them was, to have an that, equal opportunity to receive a sound basic education. Was that after a hearing and his having taken evidence or was that in response to a particular presentation of some information? It was after a hearing and after having taken evidence. And, and, matter, and what was the nature of the evidence that was received at that point? So your honor, at that point on remand, and this court will recall, on the, uh, as part of the Leandro one opinion, this court said on remand of this case to the trial court, the court makes findings and conclusions from competent evidence to the effect that defendants in this case are denying the children of the state a sound basic education, a denial of a fundamental right will be established. And Judge Manning took that evidence. He took the evidence from Hope County and he took the evidence statewide. And what, through that evidence. So what order did he enter that indicated that he had an order that indicates I am now moving from Hope County, which was uh, the precise issue before the court in this court in 2004. Uh, what order did he enter saying I've considered all of this statewide evidence and it's not just the low performing students. It's not just the allegations of plaintiff's original complaint but now I'm saying there is statewide failure. Yes, sir. So following Leandro II, Judge Manning, the case was again remanded after this court said the children of the state are the most valuable renewable resource. If inordinate numbers of them are being wrongfully denied their constitutional right to a sound basic education, courts cannot risk that. And in response on page 932, this is following remand from Leandro II, Judge Manning noted in an order now that the appeal is over and Leander II is in full force and effect, it is time for the DPI and the State Board to outline and present its plans as to how it will continue to proceed to ensure that the children of North Carolina will be afforded the opportunity to a sound basic education. So okay, that's, that's not a finding that I took evidence. These are the ways that the state is failing with regard to inputs and outputs. Uh, uh, certainly you would agree that with the Hope County decision from Judge Manning and then the Hope County appeal, uh, that that looked precisely at Hope County. It didn't even look at the other four plaintiff uh, rural districts, correct? That is correct. So there before the Supreme Court, we had a record with regard to what evidence was presented that supported specific findings of fact that led to various conclusions of law. We affirmed most of those. Uh, we uh, also took the question of can we consider federal funding in the funding aspect. And we also um, 
uh, said that the, a remedy, the idea of um, early childhood education was um, something that this court, a court, should not impose. Um, how did we get from Hope County specifics with, with that type of a trial to a statewide situation? And, and when, where, how was all this evidence presented and where's the order? Your Honor is correct in that the initial stages of the litigation, it was solely evidence of Hope County that was collected. And in fact, Judge Manning was restricted to collecting Hope County evidence because Hope County was the representative plaintiff in this case. This was a declaratory judgment action. This was not a singular action by one county against the state. The judgments declared by this court the constitutional pronouncements from this court extend beyond the borders of Hope County. It but, extends but, but, to every child. But yes, I mean, there's, there's no doubt it does. But with regard to finding that there was a problem, with regard to finding that there was um, a, a situation that caused the court to then go in to present remedies, it looked at the specifics of Hope County and the specifics of the delivery of education will vary greatly from county to county as this court has recognized. And actually in Leandro 1, we approved. If you look at the constitutional funding, the funding elements are different from county to county depending on what the counties want to invest in their local education systems. Certainly. Harkening back to the dissent in Leandro 1, I will point out, Your Honor, following Leandro 2, Judge Manning, made a number of findings considering the evidence from Hope County and beyond Hope County. They can be found on pages 3355 through 56, 1048, 1089, 1144, 1232, and 1257. Which of those are a detailed order stating these are the deficiencies in the delivery of our statewide education falling below the constitutional mandate by clear and convincing evidence. I believe if the court reviews the record and the pages preceding these, it will find a clear delineation by Judge Manning of his analysis of the evidence. And is that a final order that was appealable? I believe there was, Your Honor. Show, tell, tell me the date of that final order. The date of the final order well, this is now our fourth appeal. And so we've had a series of orders that have warranted immediate appellate review. The date of the final order is in 2015 though, Your Honor, in, in May of 2015. Um, and I can look back at the record to be sure uh, as Ms. Dubis is arguing. But again, Hope County was a representative county the state is required to install and implement. Council, I, I apologize. Uh, Chief Justice asked about uh, findings of fact, and you indicated uh, that there, what you believe findings of fact uh, along uh, that line of question. Uh, can you point me to where the trial court concluded as a matter of law that there was a statewide violation? Yes, the trial court, Your Honor, or this court? The trial court. The trial court, certainly. 
uh, on September 8, 2004. This is record page 932. Judge Manning wrote, now that the appeal is over and Leandro II is in full force and effect, it is time for the DPI and the State Board to outline and present its plans as to how it will continue to proceed to ensure that the children of the state of North Carolina will be afforded the opportunity to a sound basic education. He concluded, based on what was before him, that the children have been, at least some of them, have been denied the right, the privilege of an opportunity to receive a sound basic education. And you, you contend that that's a conclusion of law? I do, Your Honor, in conjunction with the other conclusions. And this court has said it. This court said it. Actually, Mr. Taylor mentioned that the fundamental right was established in Leandro II. It was not. It was established in Leandro I. In Leandro I, this court noted that it was remanding the case back to the trial court to ensure that there is evidence or to collect evidence of a denial of a fundamental right to every child in this state. It reviewed Article 1, Section 15, and Article 9, Section 2, and concluded in Leandro 1 that those two provisions combined establish that fundamental right. This court has already said that. In Leandro 2, this court opined, if inordinate numbers of them, the children of the state, are wrongfully being denied their constitutional right to the opportunity for a sound basic education, our state courts cannot risk further and continued damage because the perfect civil action has proved elusive. And that last clause, Your Honor, is really important. The state is obligated to provide a uniform system of education. It puzzles me a little bit the idea that 27 years of litigation, this fourth appeal, has all been about Hope County. And even if it were, if it were just about Hope County, the reality is, is that we didn't go through this effort to fund Hope County, and we didn't because we're obligated by virtue of the Constitution and the commands of this court to ensure that every child is afforded that right, irrespective of whether they live in Hope County or Wake County or Buncombe County. Every child. That is the obligation under the Constitution. Uh, no, nobody's arguing that that's not the obligation. You have pointed me to a notice of hearing and order. Mm -hmm. How is that a final order? A notice of hearing? It's not just a notice of hearing, Your Honor. It is also an order. And that was the somewhat cavalier way that Judge Manning created his orders. It, well, I don't think that's true if you look at the order that was appealed for Leandro too. I mean... The order that was appealed in Leandro II was an order that we're used to seeing in terms of uh, detailed findings of facts, conclusions of law. I mean, here's his order. That's his order, all right? That's an order. Uh, a five-page notice of hearing and order, the order part of that is just to say, we're going to have a hearing. It's not that, oh, by the way, as I'm thinking about these things, uh, these are some issues I want y'all to talk about. So we're, nobody's contesting that every child is entitled to a sound basic education. But we are a court of law, and we have to follow certain procedures. And those procedures say that every party will have a day in court. Uh, can, can you tell me 
if your position today is consistent with the position that the state of North Carolina took in 2015. So going back to the first part, Your Honor, in terms of the orders, page 1304 and 1646 are orders from Judge Lee in this case, and I believe those constitute final orders, at least orders that impact substantial rights that warrant appellate review. With and, respect and, to your- And, and he, he took evidence and made specific findings of fact that by clear and convincing evidence, uh, this, these elements of a sound basic education are not being met. He reviewed the evidence of the record, Your Honor, and then he reviewed additional changes during the course of time between when he was assigned the case by Justice Martin until the time he was removed. And he incorporated that additional evidence into his legal conclusions, Your Honor. Having reviewed the record, he made conclusions of law that the state is still violating its constitutional obligations. We are not guarding and maintaining the right to the right to education the way we're required to. By still violating, where was the first violation other than the children at risk in Hope County that was precisely determined by this court? Uh, this court went to great lengths in, in uh, Hope County or Leandro too. We went to great lengths to say, we are looking at Hope County and that. And we even said, for the other four counties, uh, that's gotta be decided at trial. And to the best of my reading of this record, that has never been done. Has it? It has not been done, Your Honor, because again, Hope County was designated as a representative county. And as Justice Orr wrote in an amicus brief in Leandro three it was clear that the court's intention with Leandro II was to go beyond the provincial boundaries of Hope County. Your Honor, you asked about whether the state's position in 2015 was the same as the state's position in 2018. There is a crucial pivot point in between. The state was once again found to be in violation of the Constitution. So in 2018, the defendants, the state and the state board, came up with a comprehensive remedial plan. And that plan is an amalgam of our own educational policies, our own educational programs. By, by our own. The states. And by the state, to whom are you referring? Well, uh, primarily, I mean, I mean, you know, we've got separation of power. Sure. Uh, is the state only the executive branch? The state is not only the executive branch. The programs I'm referring to, and this is just a sampling, and these are all programs proposed and adopted by the General Assembly. The Disadvantaged Student Supplemental Fund, that was a program from 2004. Students with Disability Fund, that's a long-standing GA program. NC Pre-K has had bipartisan support for more than 10 years. The Advanced Teaching Roles Program is a GA program from 2016, as is the Teaching Fellows Program from 2017. Virtually every single program in the CRP is a program that we have already either adopted or proposed. The difference is, through the plan, those policies and those programs reach not just my kids in Wake County. They reach all kids, and especially those kids who haven't had the same opportunities. We came up, finally, with a uniform system of education that we could all be proud of. It was what, the remedy. Does the legislature have any input into this remedy? Your Honor, absolutely. 
For 27 years, the legislature could have come up with a plan. At they chose any not point, to. At any point, have you sought, has the state sought to uh, bring the General Assembly in as a necessary party? No, Your Honor. The state Why? has not. Because the state, and in fact, Judge Manning noted in one of his orders, and I can look up the record site, that for many, many years, in his opinion, the state was the executive and legislative branches. Now, had the legislative branch had a true interest in joining into this endeavor, in solving this problem, they could have at any time. I will point out that they've intervened in this case. They intervened in November, only after Judge Lee entered his enforcement order. <clears throat> the problem with their position is that the budget, which they use as a segue to get into this case, came out eight days after his order. So on page 27 of their reply brief, you'll see there's a little note in there that they kind of changed their tune. That, well, no, Judge Lee was really just attacking the continuing budget from the year prior. But if that's the case, if the continuing budget is a segue to get into this matter, they could have done it at any time. But they didn't. They waited to the last moment. From the sidelines, they warned the trial court that it did not have inherent authority that it could not recognize the overlap between the branches, that it could not enforce Article 1, Section 15. And despite those warnings, Judge Lee did so. And he did so because the Constitution and this court demanded it. He had no choice, just as in 2018, Your Honor, the state had no choice but to come up with a comprehensive program. That's the distinction. We were bound not just by the opinions of this court, we were bound by the Constitution. All efforts had been exhausted. And so now the state had to resolve to fix the problem once and for all. But instead of joining in, at the last minute, the legislative leaders intervened and injected a bevy of collateral issues, all of which have been answered by prior precedent. And when they do address the core constitutional issue, the fundamental right to a sound basic education, they deflect. Based they on your review of the record, have there been sufficient orders generated uh, throughout the years by the judges that have been assigned to this case for there to have been deemed to have been a violation upon which this court has been involved in terms of generating Leandro I and Leandro II? Yes, Your Honor, I absolutely believe that without reservation. So based upon your review of the record, that indeed there have been orders that have designated that there have been violations, what do you mean in terms of Hope County having been a representative county, representing not only the counties that have been named counties, but also others that have been named in those orders that have been generated by Judge Manning heretofore? Yes, sir. So Hope County being the representative county in a declaratory judgment action represented the issue. In Leandro 2, this court noted that given the paramount public interest in this issue, the important stakes that under the declaratory judgment act, those who are interested or impacted by the declaration of their rights our parties. They cited, this court cited 1-260 for that proposition. And it did so because it understood then 
that this was a statewide issue. It understood in Leandro III that this was a statewide issue. Now, I understand that at the last minute, the funding mechanisms that prompted that appeal were changed. They were changed after oral argument. But this court didn't reject the PDR in that case because this was not a statewide issue. They wanted to hear about the statewide program. That was the program at stake in Leandro III. It was not a Hope County program. It was a statewide program. And that appeal was proper up until the moment that the General Assembly mooted it by changing the underpinning statutes. I'd like to ask you about the November 2021 order and the findings of fact that are made in that order and what uh, uh, to the extent to which those are binding on this court. And in, in the second finding of fact, the trial court says, for over 11 years and in over 20 compliance hearings, the state demonstrated its inability and repeated failure to develop, implement, and maintain any kind of substantive structural initiative designed to remedy the established constitutional deficiencies. In the findings of fact, that order goes on to say that the West End report, for example, found that hundreds of thousands of North Carolina children continue to be denied the opportunity for a sound basic education. And goes on in great detail, this November 2021 order, to, to <coughs> talk about the West End report, and not just to say that the report was submitted, but to say that this court, this trial court, um, agrees with the findings, agrees that the comprehensive remedial plan will address the problems found in the Western Report. Are those findings a fact that we owe deference to? The compliance hearings, Your Honor, uh, were a presentation to the trial court of the efforts that were being made and the data that was accumulated. I understand Mr. Tilley not having insight on that as the General Assembly was not a party, but the State Board and the state utilized the West End report to do a self-assessment and make a determination of where we were failing. And that's why the comprehensive remedial plan looks the way that it does. And so I do think those findings deserve deference. Judge Lee was there along with us. To be clear, this is not a trial court plan. And I know there was, was suggestion of that in the brief, and there was a suggestion of that today. These are not policies of the trial court. Rather, these policies are the policies that were adopted by the trial court, trial court at behest of the state and the state board. There is talk of collusion, for lack of a better term. We certainly wanted plaintiffs to be involved in that process because we wanted to finish this, and we wanted to have dominion over the issue. We wanted to own the problem and so getting signed off from plaintiffs ensured that the trial court would adopt this program, which we truly believe will make huge strides for these kids. We wanted the trial court to adopt that program. And the easiest way to do that is to get the consent of the stakeholders. That's what happened here. Uh, counselor, I have a follow-up. I found your choice of word dominion to be a very interesting one. Um, I've combed this record and looked really, really hard at it. And uh, from a constitutional standpoint, I believe in our courts, I believe in trials, I believe in the adversary system. But as best I can tell, there was only one, what we would consider a trial, where there was not dominion by someone who is a party, but instead truly an advocacy situation involved. And I 
it, based on my uh, reading, it was before Leandro II, and I think that gets to the chief's points about where the findings of fact and the conclusions of law. In a more plainer way of saying it, uh, on what basis was there truly either a bench trial or a jury trial where we could test these, these concepts uh, in a court of law? Um, it, what, help me grapple with that. There was no uh, jury trial for this. Well, and I realize that, but right. even a bench trial, sir. There, there was a series of hearings, Your Honor. I don't is know. that a bench trial, sir? I believe it has the same effect, absolutely. For instance, summary judgment can be decided without a trial. A lot of the cases, the constitutional cases that come before this court are decided at summary judgment. We never have a bench trial for those. But was this a summary judgment proceeding? These were not, these were various proceedings. So the first appeal was from 12B. The second appeal was a trial where right. evidence was submitted and Judge Manning made his findings. This court sent it back once again. I believe Leander II is actually another example of deference from the courts. The last line of that opinion says, it remains to be seen if the state will follow through. I believe Leander II was to do deference due to the political branches. But time after time, year after year, we kept failing. And that's why it culminated in 2018, Your Honor. So yeah, there, are, there, are, there were a number of hearings here. I believe what Judge Manning did in his four volumes, it's 400 pages of an order, was his findings and his conclusions about those findings as a trial. And in fact, the decretal portion says this has been adjudged. That's the title for the decretal portion. Judge Manning viewed it that way. The parties viewed it that way. And this court viewed it that way until today. That's what Leandro II says. It took the evidence. There isn't any suspicion about the evidence that was received by the trial court in Leandro II. This court looked at Hope County, said it was a representative county, restricted the evidence to Hope County, and then took those declaratory judgment findings declaring the constitutional right and spread them across the state to take seed to ensure that we don't have another generation of undereducated North Carolinians. I hate to think of the Angelus and the Coralts that we've lost along the way. And those kids aren't the only ones we've lost. We all have lost, Your Honor. We all have lost the benefit of their presence at their full capacity as citizens of the state. Council, you, you've used the term we several times, and I believe earlier in your argument you stated that we came up with a plan. Um, apart from the legislative interveners and the controller, perhaps, um, would you agree that um, the state shares the same position with all of the other parties? I wouldn't phrase it that way, Your Honor. I would say that the state is obligated under the Constitution to provide a sound basic education to every child. The fact that that constitutional obligation now aligns with what plaintiffs want, what all these kids want, is serendipitous. But it exists independently of the other parties, Your Honor. But, but uh, those views have aligned since 2018, is that right? Again, it's not an alignment, Your Honor. Well, you at, at 28, in 2018, we had no other choice. We had to come up with a plan. We were in violation of the Constitution. And when I say we, I do mean the state and the state board. 
Remember, the executive branch is responsible for implementing the state's policies. That's what the executive branch did. It took ownership over the issue. I see my time is running short, and I'd like to reserve just a few more for, uh, for rebuttal. I'm glad to answer any other questions, though. Thank you, Council. We'll show you the same courtesy that we showed the other party. Thank you. I think we'll hear from the attorney for the plaintiff. Plaintiffs. May it please the court, I'm Melanie Dubas, appearing on behalf of the plaintiffs. Here with me today are Larry Armstrong, who is counsel to the Halifax County Board of Education. My colleagues Scott Basil and Catherine Claude Felter are here with me as well, and we also have in, in the courtroom the superintendent of the Halifax County Schools and the uh, school board attorney for the Cumberland County Schools. Your Honors, I have represented the plaintiffs for 27 years. And in those 27 years, this case has been before the court three times. And there have been a lot of issues brought before this court. The issue before the court today, however, is very narrow. When the state of North Carolina violates the fundamental affirmative constitutional right to the privilege of education for 20 years, can this court do anything about it? Plaintiffs submit that the answer is and it must be yes for four reasons. First, well, before you, uh, you know, and, and certainly we want to hear that, but can you point to some order where there, that occurred after a trial, where there was a finding that there is in fact a statewide violation of the constitutional uh, provision uh, uh, guaranteeing the privilege of a sound basic education to everybody? Um, yes, Your Honor, there are at least eight places, but before I point those out to the court, I would note that if you look at Leandro 2 and what this court said on remand to the trial court, the court did not say that there should be additional trials or that there must be additional judgments. But what the court said is that the other cases should proceed as necessary in a fashion that is consistent with the tenets outlined in this opinion. And also in footnote five that the interveners point to said further proceedings that include but are not necessarily limited to presentation of relevant evidence by the parties, findings and conclusions by the trial court. Where the language as necessary is in a remand from a higher tribunal to a lower tribunal that means it's discretionary. It's in the, in the lower tribunal's discretion, and that's the Parkdale v. Mills case. It's the North Carolina Court of Appeals case. You know, it, it, it doesn't say as necessary. Uh, it says, but are not necessarily limited to, as are not necessarily limited to presentation of relevant evidence. At page 648, Your Honor, it says that the cases should proceed as necessary in a fashion that's consistent with the tenets outlined herein. And, and what Judge and Manning footnote five, was necessary. I was, I was reading footnote five, as you were, and what I said is you uh, apparently overread where it says, but are not necessarily limited to. 
It doesn't say take evidence if necessary. My apologies, Your Honor. There are two places in Leandro 2 where the court trial, this court talks about what the trial court should do on remand. The first place is at page 648. And the second place is in footnote 5. And page 648 says, as for the preceding cases involving either other rural school districts or urban school districts, we order that they should proceed as necessary in a fashion that is consistent with the tenets outlined in this position. What and, does Manny and, and the tenets outlined in the opinion include footnote 5 that says not necessarily limited to taking relevant evidence. Uh, it goes on to say, or it begins by saying, that plaintiffs from the other uh, rural districts, uh, Cumberland, Halifax, Robson, and Vance, uh, were not eliminated as parties. Uh, however, because this court's examination of the case is premised on evidence as it pertains to Hope County in particular, our holding mandates cannot be construed to extend to the other four rural counties. And in footnote 14, it says the court recognizes that the trial court took evidence on and make conclusions about student performance across the state. However, we remain mindful that the issues of the instant case pertain only to evidence, findings, and conclusions that apply to Hope County in particular. As a consequence, any findings or conclusions that were intended to apply to the state school children beyond those of Hope County are not relevant to the inquiries at issue. That is what it says, Your Honor, and this is what Justice Orr said in 2012 about that language. This is at the record at page 3603 in the amicus brief that Justice Orr authored in the Leandro III case. He says, it would be disingenuous and inaccurate to argue that the ruling was limited to Hope County. Justice Orr points to the language in the opinion at pages 643 to 644 that recognized the gravity of the situation for prospective enrollees in Hope County and elsewhere and acknowledged the imperative need for a solution. So that's what the author of Leandro II had to say about well, Leandro II. Do you the disagree that a justice who authors an opinion for the court circulates that among his colleagues and then can speak for the court, but afterwards when that person is no longer a justice, they may give their own views of what they may have meant or intended. But that doesn't tell us what the court intended. What tells us are the words of the opinion itself. Well, let me tell you, Your Honor, what Judge Manning understood the words. The words say what they say. They are what they are. Judge Manning understood that to mean he decided in September 9th of 2004, so a few months after the court remanded the case to Judge Manning, he said the court has determined that further proceedings on this case were necessary initially at least on two separate subject areas. First, the failure of the General Assembly to fund the Disadvantaged Student Supplemental Fund. And Justice Earls, if you look at that September 9th, 2004 uh, order from Judge Manning, he specifically says the counsel for the state should come here prepared to tell this court the position of the legislative branch. He went on to say the second thing I, Judge Manning, have determined that there should be hearings on is to provide the state of North Carolina with the opportunity to provide the court and the parties with information as to how it plans to assess and address the constitutional deficiencies still present throughout North Carolina's public schools. And that is how he ordered the parties to proceed, and that is how they proceeded. 
And that resulted in, as I said, eight separate findings from Judge Manning and then later from Judge Lee that there was a statewide violation. First one was in May of 2005. That's also, again, that's, that starts with a record at page 3355. Then on page 3329 of the record, when referring to the hearings that he held in 2005, Judge Manning said that those hearings were evidentiary. And based on the evidentiary hearings, which include, the hearings were evidentiary, here we go, page 3329 of the record. The March 7, 2005 hearings were evidentiary. Each party was permitted to examine each witness. Documentary evidence was also presented to the court. The testimony and documentary evidence are part of the record in this case. And then he reaches his conclusions that too many children across the state of North Carolina were being denied the opportunity for sound basic education. So that's 2005. June 2007, at page 1048. July 2008, at page 1062. August 2009, at page 1089. May 2011, at page 1140. March 2015, at page 1257. March 2018, at page 1303. And January 2020, at page 1636 of the record. And I'll pause a moment, Your Honors, on the March 2018 finding. This was by Judge Lee. In that first Redwell, closest to Mr. Majmundar, that's the evidence that Judge Lee reviewed, in addition to the evidence that's sitting over in the courthouse in Wake County. And based on that evidence he made at page 1303, findings of fact on the preponderance of the evidence, quote unquote. He said, additional hard facts and evidence before this court include the State Board of Education's admission in 2015 that the demand for new teachers is not being met, that there were then more schools rated D or F that can be served, that the federal race to the top funding ended in 2014 and that resulted in the State Department of Public Education, or Public Instruction, losing over half of its staff, loss of critical funding used to develop and implement effective teaching. In Hope County, the school district has been forced to hire lateral entry candidates, people with no formal training to work with this most at-risk populations. So, so one of the items you referred to on page 1048 is part of a facts-only memo from Judge Manning to President Erskine Bowles at UNC, care of Janie and Jan, subject middle school problems. Are you saying that's a court order? Your Honor, I believe that one, if not that one, the, uh, there are other orders that, uh, or memorandum that Judge Manning ordered be made part of the record. It is part of the record of this case. But, but, but that doesn't make it an order. That's not a trial court putting his robe on, her robe on, hearing arguments of counsel, taking evidence, and then rendering a judgment. There this, are, is simply, this is simply a, you know, what appears to be, as it says, a memo. There Judge are Manning additional orders in the record, Your Honor, and granted, uh, Judge Manning's procedure was, how should we say, uh, unconventional. But if you look at the record and read the record, you see that he held evidentiary hearings at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And he would notice a hearing, 
he would take evidence that's in the record, and then he would, in his next hearing, he would write an order. That order would review the prior evidence or review evidence that the state and the State Board of Education had submitted to him prior, and he would make findings. He would, on the basis of the evidence, he would make findings, and in those findings, repeatedly, as I've cited in the record, repeatedly found that the state of North Carolina was continuing to fail to provide the children the opportunity to have sound basic education. Uh, children, which children? All children? All, all children. 100 counties? All 100 plus school districts? All they're, children. They're all deficient. Your Honor, the standard is not whether the state is providing every single child a sound basic education. The standard is whether the state is providing the opportunity for a sound basic education, which this court in Leandro II said we can determine by looking at a couple of things. We can look at the outputs. Those are the test scores that Judge Manning reviewed every day. If you look at the 2020-21 test scores, looking at the standard that this court set in Leandro II, there are over 400,000 children who by, those, by that evidence is, are not being provided the sound basic education. The other if, thing this you, court if said- you, If you look at 2021, you're looking at folks who went through two years of COVID. Now, are you saying that COVID had no impact on the school children of North Carolina? Your Honor, the public record, the DPI posts these every year. In 2019, pre-COVID, the 2018-19 school year, there were over 300,000 third through eighth graders across the state of North Carolina who could not read at grade level pre-COVID. And the other, the other factors that this court pointed to in Leandro II as whether or not the state is providing the opportunity to a sound basic education are, are there sufficient are, are there competent and certified teachers in every classroom in North Carolina? Every, class, every school in North Carolina must be led by a certified, well-trained principal. And this court said that a sound basic education is one that offers sufficient resources to, to those schools such that they can meet the educational needs of all children and particularly at-risk children. That's in Leandro II. Again, Judge Manning, over the course of the years, and Judge Lee, as he pointed out in 2018, looked at that evidence too. What evidence is there that every classroom in North Carolina has a competent, certified, well-trained teacher in it? Today, I heard on the news this week, uh, it's in the public record, again, a matter of public information, there are over 11,000 vacant teaching and staff positions in the public schools of North Carolina. Last year, there were over 3,000 vacant teaching positions across the state of North Carolina. Based on evidence such as that, Judge Manning and Judge Lee concluded that there are not teachers in every classroom in North Carolina. That is what Leandro II said is one of the things to look at, among others and the state therefore is not providing the opportunity to a sound basic education. Oh, you, you, 
Um, given uh, that statement and your expressed concern over the 300,000 children uh, who had fallen below the basic standard uh, education, wouldn't, wouldn't you have taken greater steps to remedy what you called an unconventional uh, approach to entering orders and your friend uh, at, at the table called cavalier approach? Your Honor, the state of North Carolina, which is the defendant in this case, from the 2000, actually from the 2002 judgment forward, told the court and told plaintiffs, told us, don't worry about Hope County getting a remedy. Don't worry about the other plaintiff counties getting a remedy because we, the defendants, in light of Leandro II, are going to provide and present to the court a statewide remedy. We relied, Justice Berger, on those representations. I'm sorry, the plaintiffs since, did. since 2002? Yes, since 2002. We relied on those representations that the state would provide a statewide remedy. I would encourage the justices to look also at the State Board of Education's brief because that really outlines specifically the ongoing and repeated efforts that the defendants made to prove to Judge Manning and then to Judge Lee that the state is providing a sound opportunity to a sound basic education. The second Redwell, the, the taller one, is the volumes of evidence, quote unquote. That's the three volumes of evidence that the State Board of Education submitted to Judge Lee in 2017, on which in 2018 he concluded there is still an ongoing statewide violation and he ordered the state defendants to cooperate with the rest of the parties and come up with a plan to correct it, which is what the state defendants did. It's the comprehensive remedial plan. So since 2002, uh, based on assurances by the state uh, and what you contend are orders that, that may have been entered, uh, you took no steps to secure a formal order with findings of fact and conclusions of law. Uh, Your Honor, the plaintiffs took multiple steps to, to secure orders. The first step that we took in 2002 was to try to secure an order for a specific remedy for Hope County. We cite that in our brief and it's in the record. And what Judge Manning told us was, we're not going to focus on one county. We're not going to focus on either, well, on one urban county. We are going to move forward with a statewide remedy. That is, that is what the plaintiffs were instructed by the court, Your Honor. And at any point, if the state of North Carolina believed that Judge Manning was stepping outside of the boundaries, if he was stepping outside of the remand of this court, the state of North Carolina could have taken steps and to rein I'm, in. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when did you say Judge Manning did that, said that you were moving forward with statewide um, your Honor, it is, it is in our brief, and, it is, um, and we attach the, the transcript page. I would venture a guess, and I, we can look it up, that it was in the 2005 or 2006 time frame. But it wasn't just last year. No, Your Honor. It was, it was not just last year. Counsel, and I was going to ask, yes, Counsel, uh, you started your presentation by 
saying was there anything that this court could do concerning uh, what the overriding and overarching issue is, which is to be involved to a proper extent to make sure that the state provides all children the opportunity to obtain a sound basic education. Uh, I surmise that you haven't had a chance to get into that presentation quite yet. Uh, so I'd like to know what you have to say from that perspective, especially from the standpoint of understanding what recourse, if any, uh, in your view, uh, would the North Carolina Judicial Branch as a co-equal branch of government would have when the General Assembly fails to fulfill an order that has been issued by a representative of the Judicial Branch, namely the trial court, where that order includes a financial component? The first thing I would note, Your Honor, and thank you for the question, the first thing I would note is this is not just any order. It's not a contract case. It's not a case about attorney's fees and some of the other cases that the defendant intervenors cite. This is the right, this is a unique right, the right to the opportunity to a sound basic education. And as a co-equal branch of the state, the court has a duty to guard and maintain that right. Article 1, Section 15 says the state, not the General Assembly, the state, which includes this court, has a duty to guard and maintain that right to the privilege of education. Second reason, Your Honor, that this court can and should uphold the November 10th order, including the transfer provision, is that the legislature is not above the law. The legislature cannot carry out its constitutional duties in an unconstitutional way which is what it has done for the last 20 years and what the interveners want to continue doing in perpetuity. Third reason, Your Honor, is that this court has both, as we've explained in our briefs and argued in our briefs, this court has both express authority from the language of the Constitution and it has inherent authority that this court itself recognized in the Alamance case. It has the inherent authority to uphold the remedy that the state defendants themselves <coughs> created and that the state defendants admit this is necessary to remedy what they admit is an ongoing statewide constitutional violation. And the last thing, Your Honor, is, again, based on this court's holdings in Leandro II, as, as I said, as we sit here today, there are 400,000 children who are suffering the consequences of the past 20 years. This is not we're not asking for an advisory opinion. This is not a friendly case in which there's a state action and no one really is harmed by it. These are real children, Your Honor. And what's in 20 years- What's your response to the limitation of a trial court to be able to uh, instruct in an order the legislature to make the appropriate appropriation uh, in light of the legislature's position that a trial court does not have the authority to do that, but yet on the other hand, there is the recognition that a court on the appellate level, such as this court, should have some wherewithal to make sure that there is the proper uh, respect and uh, integrity authorized for a trial court's order. 
The first thing I would say in response to that, Your Honor, is that Judge Lee's November 10th order does not, does not order the legislature to appropriate money. That, that is not what it, it does. It orders state actors, and I believe the controller would concede that he is an employee and uh, of sufficient authority to be an actor on behalf of the state. His order orders certain state actors to transfer existing funds, not appropriate new funds, but transfer existing funds to implement the state's own remedy that the state came forward with for this constitutional violation. So that's number one, Your Honor, is, is that Judge Lee showed appropriate deference and restraint in, in that regard. Also looking at the Alamance case, again, which Alamance recognizes, this court recognizes that there are certain, and perhaps this is the unique circumstance, the unique circumstance when the court can reach to the power of the purse, and this is it, because the trial court, in, in, uh, in line with this court's instructions in Leandro II, gave all deference to the executive and the legislative branches for 17 years. Let me ask you a question about the order to the controller. What do you say in response, if anything, to uh, Mr. Hunter's argument that the controller had no notice or um, due process about that order? Uh, Your Honor, to the extent that the controller relies on the, the Richmond case for that proposition, which is a case of the Court of Appeals and, and not binding on, on this court, um, or the Alamance case uh, the, of this court, those cases were different. The Alamance case, uh, the co county commissioners were not named as defendants in that case. There were no defendants in that case. The court ex parte reached, again, ex parte to the power of the purse. Here, I'd say the state controller, again, is an actor of the state. The state of North Carolina has been the defendant in this case for 28 years, along with the State Board of Education. Well, just to follow up on that, if I may, um, I understand your argument about whether or not um, the um, Judge Robinson exceeded his authority under the remand. But setting that aside, from your perspective, what is the distinction between an order like Judge Robinson's that orders the state to do something and Judge Lee's order, which just orders specific state actors to do something? What, how, how are those different in a practical way? <laughs> uh, Your Honor, here's, here's how, I, how we rec reconcile those, if, if you will. Again, before the trial court or this court um, ex exercises inherent authority to reach to the power of the purse, the court has to be very mindful of two limitations. And one limitation is that there are no other uh, less intrusive remedies. And so in the Alamance case, for example, this court suggested that the trial court could have, may have, issued mandamus ordering the commissioners to come forward with a plan to renovate the courthouse. Judge Lee <coughs> had already done that, right? So we checked that box. Uh, the court cannot hold the legislature in contempt. The trial court does not have the authority to, uh, to indict uh, members of the General Assembly for not living up to their constitutional obligations. And, and so the court was left with the instructions that the trial court was left with the instructions that this court gave it in Leandro II, and that is. So is, is your answer to Justice Earl's question, and, and I was going to ask you essentially 
to comment on the suggestion that there were other remedies aside from that, the one that Judge uh, Lee ordered. Is your argument essentially that there is no other remedy? You talked about lack, you know, lack of contempt authority, other things that you just discussed. The suggestion has been made there ought to be some other remedy beside this one. What's your comment on that? Your Honor, we are not aware of any, again, not just any other remedy, any less intrusive remedy, which is what the trial court had to be mindful of. And Justice Earls, I would argue that ordering the legislature to actively take affirmative action is more intrusive than what the trial court did. Judge Lee did not order the passage of a tax or the levying of a tax or the passage of a statute, uh, did not reach to the legislative injunction theory from the Missouri versus Jenkins case, which is a Supreme Court case. He did not go to any of those more intrusive remedies. And I believe to answer your, your question, Your Honor, and that is, is there a remedy? Yes, and there has to be a remedy because you do have to read Article 1, Section 15 and Article 5 in conjunction. If the General Assembly does not live up to its obligation to guard and maintain the right to the privilege of education, what to the other branches of the state, because it is the obligation of the state. What do the other branches have to fall back on? And the court, again, has the language of the appropriations clause, an appropriation by law. The Constitution is the highest law in the land. The court also has its inherent authority that this court has recognized, again, in Alamance and in other cases and it is the extraordinary circumstance where that authority could be used. And we would submit that this may, in fact, be the only case because you have a unique right that the state has a duty to guard and maintain. You have, at the time Judge Lee entered his order, 17 years of deference to the state. And you have a unique remedy that the state defendant itself handcrafted to solve that constitutional, that constitutional deficiency. And, Your Honors, I'll close with this because I see that, that my time is, is short. 28 years ago, Mr. Armstrong stood in Halifax where the Constitution was first adopted. And he said to Judge Braswell, Judge, you have the future of the children in your hands. 18 years ago, Justice Orr remanded that future into the hands, he says, of the legislature and the executive branch. Those branches failed the children. Now, the future of the children of North Carolina is in this court's hands. And we submit that the remedy for those children is not 400,000 individual lawsuits to uh, to vindicate their individual constitutional rights. The remedy is upholding Judge Lee's November 10th order, including the transfer provisions, with the amendments that Judge Robinson made to take the budget into account. Chief Justice, I understand that my...
time is, uh, and rebuttal time are consolidated into uh, one 30-minute segment, I'm happy to answer any questions of the court. If not, I'll take my leave. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, Your Honors. Uh, we'll hear a rebuttal from the state. May it please the court. Justice Earls, you asked a question twice in two different ways. See if I can give you an answer. The, the distinction between the state and state actors is found in Leandro II. Leandro II specifically provides that if there is a denial of a fundamental right, recalcitrant state actors, whoever they may be, can be ordered by the trial court to rectify or cure that violation. Justice Irvin, you asked a question twice as well about, well, what if there's no remedy? Well, the reality is in that circumstance, courts must employ inherent authority and fashion a remedy in common law as per quorum. That's what has to happen here. That is what happened here. So the remedy, if it's not forthcoming from the political branches, comes from you all. Let, let me ask you before you go much further. Uh, there was a new budget, uh, the 2022-2023 budget, uh, that was signed by the governor on July 11, 2022. Um, is there a need for uh, the court to look at how that budget may have impacted whatever funds were allocated uh, uh, as uh, was done with the 2021 budget? In terms of mathematics, Your Honor, yes. I think we would have to recalibrate the math just to be sure that the provisions of the CRP, whatever percentage they're funded, is in fact funded. But purely for the mathematics. I imagine this is going to go back to the trial court one way or another. Your Honors, in closing, I'd like to begin by commending the trial courts and each judge who has presided. <coughs> they, have they have displayed extreme competence and patience in this remarkable and very long affair. But despite those efforts, after 27 years, we are still here. The good news, though, is that precedent has answered the questions raised by opposing counsel, Mr. Tilley. Now, I am certain that when I am finished, our friends on this side will stand before you and tell you once again why the trial court got it wrong. They will tell you that the trial court was not empowered to enforce the Constitution. That's to be expected. What they will not tell you, however, is why their roles as state actors is superior to the fundamental rights of our most valuable resource. They will not tell you why their authority preempts the plain text of the Constitution. They will not tell you that the state has for even one day met its constitutional obligations to the students. They will not tell you these things because they cannot tell you these things. To accept the truth of their claims would be to make broadly acceptable the idea that one branch of government can nullify the other two simply by controlling the money. That the branch with the purse has all the power, no matter what the Constitution might say. The consequences of that are breathtaking. That unbridled power was not envisioned by the framers who instead imposed upon each branch the rule of law, not the law of power. Like education, the separation of powers is found in the Declaration of Rights. The rights of the citizens and the very purpose of the Declaration is to ensure that those rights are secured against state officials and shifting political majorities. 
It's meant to protect the citizens, not deprive them. And this court has held in that protection from time to time, there's a degree of overlap between the branches. And that's the very heart of our system of checks and balances. And it's what gives this court the authority to act when the other branches fail to do so. Counsel, I believe your time is, extra time is now expired. If I can just have 10 seconds, Your Honor. 10 seconds. The executive and legislative branches have revealed what they believe are the limits of their authority. What will the third branch reveal? Will this court be the last line of defense? Will we be rather than seen? That's the last question. Thank you. Your Honor, no one here argues that a trial court isn't empowered to enforce the Constitution or that the General Assembly is beyond it. But before a court can fashion and impose a remedy, it must first find a violation. That hasn't happened. I'll go through very quickly the various potential rulings that were cited. Mrs. Dubas cited the transcript from 2005, from a, May 2000, or from a 2005 hearing with um, Judge Manning. In that, he says that the case is moving on to the remedial phase without a blip. Uh, in, let's, take, let's take Judge Lee's orders then to see what he was relying on for the remedy that he imposed. The 2018 order on the state's motion to dismiss and for relief from the judgment, which is at 13, both sides, or both the plaintiffs and the DOJ cited, um, 1304 for the source of a judgment. 1305 says that the court, that the burden was on the state to prove compliance with Leandro II. The court was looking for compliance with Leandro II, not finding an independent, making an independent finding of a violation. 1293 is the case, is what the plaintiff intervenors cited as the start of the statewide proceedings. That is the order that appoint, the case management order entered by consent that appoints West Ed. It does not appoint West Ed to determine whether a violation exists. It instead cites this court's liability, the trial court's liability judgment from 2002, affirmed in Leandro II as the source of the violation. It appoints West Ed to find a remedy. In 2021, the November 10 order, the one we have appealed, at finding of fact 16, at finding of fact 1 and 2, which Justice Earl cited, all cite to Leandro 2 as the source of a statewide violation that must be remedied and has allegedly gone unremedied for 17 years. There, it, Judge Lee did not think that he was um, finding a remedy for an independently found violation. He thought he was finding a remedy for your orders in Leandro 2, which are binding on the trial court. Let me get to the remedy. No one says that there can't be a remedy, but a remedy doesn't necessarily need to include the appropriations power. A court can order conduct. Judge Manning, at the end of his, his orders, at the end of the trial, said the state must step in with an iron hand and fix this mess. If it takes removing an ineffective superintendent or principal teacher or teachers, putting in a competent ones, so be it. The deficient, if the deficiencies are due to a lack of effective management practices, then it is the state's responsibility to see that effective management practices are put in place. That is 677. There are many things short of an appropriation that a court can do and that this court has not tried. The exercise of the inherent power must minimize encroachment. But the CRP goes well beyond K through 12 education. It reworks the application system, it reworks even our accountability standards, reweighing growth and proficiency. 
Finally, I would address the, the appropriations clause. No, no case from this court has ever countenanced an appropriation by the judiciary. Alamance County overturned the trial court and said that what the trial court should have done was to order through mandamus that the county officials comply with the statute. And so I would end by asking this. What happens next at, if the CRP is ordered? We don't know what's in it. There are 20 times that it says that Council, yeah, the parties will appoint. Yes, sir. What happens when the majority of North Carolinians believe that the CRP needs to be changed? Are they to intervene or are they to go to their legislators to have a Thank change? you, Council. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Mr. Clark.